It is Super Bowl week, Super Bowl 56, SoFi Stadium, Los Angeles Rams playing host, in, in quotes, of course, to the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm always excited for every Super Bowl. I did hear another guy uh, whom I listened to as far as their podcast, you know, kind of echo what I was feeling and that, you know, I'm just not as hyped up with this Super Bowl. I mean, trust me, sit down fully attentive and, and walk uh, or watch this Sunday as Cincinnati tries to pull off the upset. But it's just, you know, something about a lack of star power. Like I, I, you know, last year was all about Mahomes, Brady, LeBron, Jordan of the NFL uh, uh, times, and, and you know, best of the NFL times, best of the best. It, it certainly doesn't have that feel, but it doesn't even really scratch the surface. I mean, the Bengals have Joe Burrow, and that's it. And they're going up against Von Miller and the Rams, who definitely have star power. But based off their opponent, it's really kind of dragging them down. But we're going to talk about it anyway, uh, because I definitely feel very convicted about how it's going to go. And we got to hit on Roger Goodell, because he spoke to the media today, uh, one of the few times that he does. And of course, in in true fashion, uh, you know, the media just tries to stick it to the man. So we will hit on that. We'll hit on everything else that's happened in the NFL. Thanks so much for tuning in. It is episode 74 of the podcast. I believe it was uh, Jack Black in uh, School of Rock who said, stick it to the man. And that was his punchline, maybe not punchline, but you know, it was one of the catchphrases that really uh, stuck on there with uh, School of Rock, his best movie probably of his career, and really the one that got his career rolling. And that's exactly what I think about anytime Roger Goodell speaks. I mean, he had to touch on the lawsuit with Brian Flores, uh, Washington Commanders, and their lawsuit uh, and allegations against them that came out last week. And then Snyder and the ownership said they'd conduct an investigation. And then, no, the NFL said they would conduct an investigation and the commanders would not. And, of course, he talks about NFL Europe and expansion to Germany, games coming back in Mexico, you know, all, all the topics that we talk about every year. And rightfully so. I mean, they're they're noteworthy, but it's just the way the media goes about it. They look at Goodell. He is the one speaking to them. So in a little bit of a way, I get it. But these are questions for the owners. Like, pelt them with these questions. And more than anything, when you are assigning blame, don't give it to Roger Goodell, which the media does, therefore the fans do, and you're just pointing the finger at the wrong guy. And look, I mean, he signed up for it. He gets like, what, $40 million a year? You know, it's outrageous. So... You know, I, I don't feel sorry for him necessarily, but it's just more of an understanding of what is actually happening. He just speaks for the owners. That's it. That's all he does. When you actually assess Roger Goodell and his tenure as commissioner, he's done a pretty damn good job. Yeah, like, like that's fact. Because what he's in charge of, growing the game internationally, we heard it again that he, they're going to Germany, going back to Mexico, and, of course, back to uh, to London. He's done an exceptional job at that. And then, of course, TV contracts, phenomenal. Billions of dollars going into the pockets of every team. Even your team who maybe sucks, like the Raiders or the Jaguars, uh, even the Jets, even though they are a big revenue team. You minimum can pay off your entire 
operation just with the TV contract. That's in thanks to Roger Goodell. And then the game has never been safer. You want to talk about uh, keeping your favorite quarterback on the field? That franchise guy, he's made the rules safer so they don't miss games. He's made the games more entertaining in the fourth quarter because comebacks are readily there. There's never been more fourth quarter comebacks because the rules are conducive to it. Concussions, I mean, they've gone down every year since you've uh, seen these rule changes on kickoff and PAT and defenseless uh, uh, receivers and all of that. He's done an excellent job. But this is the year, or the time of year rather, that Goodell just gets pelted with these questions and it's just like exhausting when you hear it. Like Sal Palantonio, phenomenal reporter for ESPN. He had a question today asking about what a suspension for owner Stephen Ross of the Dolphins would look like if he did, in fact, you know, ask to uh, Brian Flores to tank games. And it's just like, Sal, for Christ's sake, you know the answer. He's not going to give you a, a uh, theory on a, a suspension when he doesn't have all the facts. I knew the answer before it was even uh, came out of Roger Goodell's mouth. It's just ridiculous the shit that the media has to ask or they even just feel they have to ask. Can we just be a little bit more high-level thinkers here as the media? Please, educate the consumer. Don't just ask what the consumer is wondering about. You need to be the bridge and the conduit between owner and, and, and consumer. And you're doing a really poor job of that. Really, you're just kind of acting like a fan. All the uh, Lindsey Jones of The Athletic, uh, Mike Silver, formerly of NFL Network, who, again, called out NFL Network after he had been fired. He had all these thoughts about how they operate. He didn't actually voice them until afterwards, like a fucking coward. Um, it, it's just, it's so tiresome. Like, when you actually remove emotion from this, which a lot of people cannot, you actually look at Roger Goodell, he's done a pretty damn good job. And, you know, today he comes out to answer questions because he has to. It's always one of the biggest media days of the year for him. I think he's really down to actually speaking two, maybe three times a year. And, you know, I, I just think he's been a really good commissioner in a lot of ways. He's had some hiccups, no doubt. Every commissioner does, whether it's NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. Roger Goodell, overall, though, he has been a smashing success in growing the National Football League. I do want to talk about the game, the Super Bowl. Rams are going to win this game by 13 points, or the Bengals will win by 13 points. I told you I felt convicted. I do. I just think it's either going to be a 13-point margin one way or the other. I could see the Bengals winning, and I said it. I forget exactly what I said after that final regular season weekend, and I, but I know it was something along the lines of, you know, Bengals, it is wide open in the AFC. They just could go to the Super Bowl, and here they are. And I'm not patting myself on the back because along the way, I didn't pick them once. And I'm not going to pick them this week either. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to. But, I mean, I could see them win. Because this moxie thing, this uh, chemistry, momentum, whatever you want to call it, it is rarely good with these Bengals. Like, it seems to be a real thing. Every year, there is some team that has, you know, a high-level momentum, but then it comes to a screeching halt. I 
tend to think that's what's going to happen with the Bengals, but sometimes some teams just ride it all the way to the championship. The Pats did in 2001 with Tom Brady, Bengals and Joe Burrow. I mean, just the stories that you are hearing about, uh, like Ed Ogeron, I know he's been making his way around media circles because he's clearly trying to get a, a coaching job and maybe even a media job. So he's been circling around Radio Row uh, here at Super Bowl week. You know, he was just talking about how rare Joe Burrow is and how he was the you know most intelligent football player he's ever been around in the college game. And it's just like, whoa, Joe Burrow is like, holy smokes. And he just seems to have this, uh, you know, way about him where, you know, he's he's one of the guys, but then he also holds you accountable. So it's like it's perfect for Cincinnati. And, you know, maybe they do ride the momentum, but I ultimately don't think so because the defensive line for the Rams is such an advantage. And I know I, along with everybody else, has counted out the offensive line of the Bengals, but I just don't see the Burrow magic in the pocket on third down in particular, which we've seen in the Kansas City game most uh, prominently, but also in the Tennessee and Raiders game. He's just been phenomenal at evading pressure and escaping pressure on third down. And I just, I don't think that's going to continue. And Burrow... He's done an excellent job this postseason in avoiding turnovers. But earlier in the year, we've, we've seen it on tape here in 2021, this football season, that Burrow will throw some interceptions. Could that happen in a, you know, quote-unquote home game in Los Angeles? Uh, you know, look, we, we're not going to know until we actually see it how many Rams fans there truly are. But I tend to think it's going to be bigger than people are going to credit for. I mean, first game in Los Angeles – uh, Super Bowl game in Los Angeles with the home team playing. I mean, holy smokes. Yeah, I, I think Rams fans could show out. Um, you know, the other thing to consider here is Matthew Stafford and really what Cam Akers in the backfield may do. Like, I could see, you know, some forced fumbles. I, I mean, you hate to say it, but it's just like turnover battle. Turnover battle. Whoever wins that. And the turnover battle may only be one turnover two turnovers, like it may just be that one that happens in the game. Um, But I think, you know, 13 points is what I like here. I know where the line is at. I'm actually kind of paying attention to that now because I've I've had some folks gripe about that. Like, hey, why aren't you paying attention to the the plus and minus and and over-unders crap? I'm just like, well, because I just, you know, assess the team based off what I think, not what Vegas says. Vegas, they're smart. I get it. But I also have my own important variables and people and things to consider when looking at the game. So, you know, in my own kind of crazy way, I do my own line. But, you know, not to pat myself on the back, I feel like I'm kind of competing with Vegas a little bit. So maybe I should run a book. I don't know if that's illegal still with all this legalized gambling, but uh, maybe something to to think about there. But 13-point game, Bengals or Rams, not entirely sure, not 100% sure which way I'm leaning, but as of now, I'm going Rams to win by 13. So with the head coaching hires now full, um, you know, the vacancy's gone. Definitely wanted to hit on the ones that I did not touch on last week. Vikings, Kevin O'Connell. I mean, yeah, he's been a Ram uh, offensive coach. He's been the offense coordinator the last two years. Sean McVay. Everybody's like searching for the next one. Look, you're not going to get a bad coach. Clearly, you're going to get someone that's high level, uh, organized, um, someone that's going to come early, stay late, really relate to players and how they want to be coached in 2021. You're not going to get old school guys because they're coming from Sean McVay. 
and LaFleur, Zach Taylor, um, now with, with uh, Kevin O'Connell, he's not going to be a disaster. I just think when you think about game management, and Sean McVay even has some some black marks with game management, there's not going to be that many folks that are so advanced uh, like him. And even with Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur, like, I mean, they have Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow. Aaron Rodgers is going into the Hall of Fame. He definitely band-aids a lot of the shortcomings of Matt LaFleur. Zach Taylor, the guy sucked before he got Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow, I mean, is sure looking like a you know modern-day John Elway in a lot of ways. Like a guy that's going to be in the Hall of Fame himself. Now, Kirk Cousins, I have defended the guy. I'll continue to do it if he plays like the way he has been the last couple of years. That guy ain't going to the Hall of Fame. So Kevin O'Connell, O'Connell might be the first real test here as far as, yeah, maybe these uh, McVay guys, are, they're not that good. Okay, maybe they're solid, but they're not outstanding, and maybe we need to give a hard look elsewhere. Uh, with the New Orleans Saints, I've always loved Dennis Allen. Uh, with the Raiders back when they were in Oakland, I know he was hired right after Al Davis died. First, uh, first hire on the job for Mark Davis. So, you know, I, I thought he had a bit of a, a raw deal as far as trying to make it work in Oakland. Like, the thing that people kind of forget about the Raiders is that this has been a laughingstock, losing organization most of my life. Outside of that Super Bowl appearance in uh, 2003, it has been an absolute nosedive of a uh, franchise. And they had the, the playoffs in 2016 with Del Rio, and now they made it. This year, and of course, again, you know, final C. There's you're not a really good team with the with the added uh, wild card team. So, you know, with Dennis Allen, it's kind of hard to judge how he's going to do here. He's been with the Saints prior to that job with the Raiders. Now he's back with the Saints. Gets hired after Sean Payton. So you would think, you know, continuity. There's a culture there. You really just kind of build off it. it it's going to be interesting. I, again. I don't think it's a home run. I think they really just wanted to hit a double, which is smart because as I always say, you are a victim. When you have a head coaching vacancy, you are a victim of what's available. You 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 fire the coach, but then you realize, oh, you have to hire someone and they have to be available. That's why, you know, I don't think enough teams actually inquire about head coaches that are currently hired. Like, you know, Mike Tomlin is pretty much like the gold standard that every owner would want to have um, as their head coach and that every player would want. Like, why don't people like call the Steelers and say, hey, we will give you five first round picks for your head coach. Just see what they say. I mean, if I'm the Steelers, I say no, but some owners might just be like, wow, I might be able to pay the coach, the, the next head coach after Tomlin cheaper and we get five first round picks. They might, you know, they might mull that over. But that's the thing that, the Saints are doing, I think, is, okay, you know, we'll run it here with Dennis Allen, and if something else better becomes available, you know, we're going to have to make a move maybe. And then with the Texans, you know, it's weird because you have pro football talk, Mike Florio, who's suspect a lot of the times, and, you know, in a lot of ways, that guy is just unbearable. Uh, But he said that Josh McCowan uh, was the favorite for that job and that the Texans wanted to hire him and they actually hoped that teams outside of Houston interviewed him. So the, you know, 
the uh, hiring would look legitimate because he's never been a head coach and no one else has ever even interviewed him. This was the second year that Josh McCowan uh, got interviewed by the Texans. But then they pivot to Lovey Smith at like the 11th hour. So it's kind of like, I mean, did you just like chicken out and not hire the guy that you want? Nick Casario seems to be a guy that really doesn't give a shit what other people think. So I tend to believe that he did get his guy and maybe he just thought, hmm, McCown, never done this before. I don't know who's going to be the quarterback moving forward. We're, we're still overhauling this roster. I'd rather just have a guy that can keep a group of people, uh, you know, in continuity. And Lovey Smith has done that. He's been Buccaneers head coach. Uh, obviously, the Bears head coach, he's been a head coach a lot of different places, uh, Illini being the other one. So you you need a grown-up in the room. I like it for Lovey. I always thought he's been good. Uh, he's a grown-up. And, you know, he's just been around the NFL and understands how it works. The thing that gets lost all the time, especially with these, like, McVay tree guys and Shanahan guys, Mike McDaniels down there in Miami, I kind of already told you my two cents there. I, I just don't think that guy knows how to run a program. It's a program. There's like game installation. There's how do you deal with off the field issues that have nothing to do with football? A player comes up to you and has a question about where the wives sit uh, with the other wives during the games. They actually ask their coach that. Yeah, like that stuff has been talked about. Jimmy Johnson has said that on air about that comes across his desk as a head coach. There's so much shit to think about. That, yeah, there is value in Lovey Smith. Even if you think he's not going to be the next head coach to take the Texan, uh, Houston Texans to the Super Bowl. There's value in that. So I, I like those three. Mike McDaniel, I said that would happen. I don't like that one, obviously. Uh, Steven Ross, he's in hot water. You know, he probably just needed him just as much as Mike McDaniel needed the Dolphins. So They'll link up. They'll be divorced in three years. And then we'll be talking about Miami still losing football games. And uh, once again, needing a, a new head coach. So I did see the uh, the pettiness that is Kyler Murray unfollowing the Cardinals on Instagram and deleting all posts. It's just like, you know, number one overall pick, uh, baseball draft pick by the, by the Oakland A's. You would just think like there would be a, a level of security about an individual. Like th- this just screams insecurity to me. Um, y- you need attention on you and you take pettiness out online instead of, you know, if, if you have an issue delivering it man to man with the Bidwells or Steve Kime or the Cardinals who have been, I don't know, pretty doggone great to you. So you unfollow them because what, this is going to be a contract uh, dis- dispute like I mean this is just so dumb so dumb and I-, I don't even know if it's really just a changing of times like I really hope my friends I like to think that I do not do it like pettiness online I post online but I like to think I'm not you know getting upset about stupid bullshit and going about things in an immature way not not saying I never have you know people want to call me out on it please do I just think if you're doing this stuff once you're at this level, NFL, starting quarterback, and people that are doing this into their 40s, uh, even mid-30s, like once you're an adult, it's just kind of like, I, I hope this remains forever just a, a childish move. You know, what kids do. I hope it's not something that carries 
over with with generations that oh yeah you just you air things out online and through text message and uh through your dms and follows and likes it's just like god damn it this is so fucking stupid that kyler is going to make a statement with some bullshit like this like the guy is so just not the material that you want to hand out a contract to so it's just like you know kyler you know, if that is what this is about, which seems to be the logical reason, because he's due for a contract now, then you're just proving their point. Like Lamar Jackson, who's due for a contract, the guy negotiating his own, again, that's not a smart move. He, like, he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. He's just like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll earn it. We'll figure this out. It's a negotiation. That's how business works. And, and it makes me think, like, do the Cardinals and Ravens do a swap here? I, you know, the Ravens are always forward thinking. They're always about getting draft capital. If I'm Arizona, is it that crazy to say, hey, I'll give you Kyler and, I don't know, second round pick for Lamar and his rights, and we'll just do a one-for-one swap essentially here? You know, Kyler plus a draft pick, though, in reality. Like, that that's something that went through my mind uh, just the other day when I saw this. I was like, when you're a number one overall pick, uh, you're obviously going to start from day one. And you're going to be the highest paid player at some point, if that's in, in in four years. And we expect you to show up to things like OTAs and to hold other teammates accountable and be someone that we do not have to worry about uh, going online and doing stupid shit like this. But increasingly in the NFL, whether it's Aaron Rodgers going on McAfee, uh, Russell Wilson even going on Dan Patrick, Deshaun before his you know million lawsuits, he was going through the media uh, and leaking stuff saying that he's unhappy. It's like, nowadays, if you're going to pay top dollar for a quarterback, I do not want to worry about you doing any of this bullshit. This online media leaking, not coming to our face and directly addressing your issues. I, I don't want to sign up for that. So that's why like Dak Prescott, performance-wise, is he near... Kyler Murray, yeah, he's kind of near Kyler Murray, but is he near Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson? Not really. I mean, over the length of the career, no, but you know what you don't have to worry about? Dak Prescott getting on Twitter and saying something about Jerry Jones. Uh, you don't have to worry about him uh, popping off uh, in a uh, anonymous, as an anonymous source, and then it going into the Dallas Morning News. Like, he's an adult. He's a grown-up. Same with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, same with Lamar, who hasn't even, again, hasn't gotten his contract yet. Like, if I'm going to start signing up for that, I think I want some assurance if I'm an owner, if I'm a GM. Like, hey, I'll, we'll give you this contract, but this shit stops. That's what I hope anyways, but Kyler Murray unfollows the Cardinals. We will see where this heads into the offseason. I saw that uh, a bunch of PA guys, which, you know, they're, players uh you know Jameson Talon Max Scherzer um um I know Dallas Braden former player they got all worked up because the owner said they would counter offer to the proposal last week and then they actually called on a mediator to come in and, and help assist them in negotiations and everybody got all up in arms like you know it was just a coward move or something. it's like guys it's a negotiation it's business that's what happens and then you did the right thing. You called their bluff, and now they're going to counteroffer the owners. So good job. Like, why does everybody have to get so upset, media mainly, about the way negotiations are going and how, oh my, how could they do that? 
Those damn owners, they need to play fair. It's like, relax, everybody. It is a negotiation. You are worth what you can negotiate. It is business. It's not fun. I understand why there's a high level of interest because there's no operating going on with Major League Baseball. We're not seeing transactions. We're not hearing about pitchers and catchers reporting here in a couple weeks or guys getting in early work like we would. Uh, you know, with the Cardinals, there would be all sorts of coverage. Down there in Jupiter, we'd have uh, the Post-Dispatch guys down there. We'd have radio guys down there. That's what we want to listen to. So I get why there's interest. But guys, th- this is where you, you you really iron things out. I think it was uh, the Nike guy. Uh, oh, what's his name? Knight or something? The, the owner of Nike. He said, business is war without bullets. That's what's going on. The owners want to secure the biggest piece of the pie that they can. And so do the players. I'm not really going to uh, throw shade or or call or chastise just any side in this because this is how you earn your living, negotiation. I'm not going to say, oh, well, the players should get this and the owners shouldn't do. No, it's business. If you can't negotiate it, you don't deserve it. It's that simple. So that's where I'm at. I really don't have like thoughts either which way, like, oh, should they, uh, should they sacrifice two years of arbitrations to for 700k the first I really don't give a shit I don't give a shit about the DH if you want to secure that fine personally I want to watch one league with the DH or without but if that's you know what you need to do to get more money that's what the players have to do whatever you can negotiate that's what you deserve there, there's there's too many folks out there it's like what are you actually saying here you're talking about how they should get a deal done? Like, I mean, there, there's a lot of different tactics that are, you know, just outside and, uh, you know, completely not tied into the game of baseball on how to iron this out. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm some expert on how to do that. All I'm going to say is that the tactics and methods, I'm not going to say, oh, that's unfair. Oh, they, they need to do this. This is for the good of the game. Stop it. There will be a de- deal done. Baseball will continue, and the concessions on each side will be made, and we'll see who comes out the winner. Usually, it's a few years down the line, but historically speaking, the owners, they're going to win. They're going to get the most money because they're the ones putting it all on the line with the cash that they invested in the team. So, we'll see where it goes. Let's just hope we got uh, opening day come April 1. All right, now I have not watched it, but the Tuck Rule documentary, the third or fourth one, I'm losing count because it's it's just exhausting that they have to do these things like three or four different times, which, you know, if I'm the director or producer or whatever, I definitely want to cut of something like that if you can get away with doing it another time. But this is a story that's been told, I don't know, by NFL Films, uh, by HBO, uh, by Brady and his own company, like, I've heard about the tuck rule a million times. The thing to remember, if you have not checked it out, uh, this one's done by ESPN 30 for 30, who, you know, they do an amazing job. I, I look forward to every 30 for 30, except for maybe like uh, uh, the radio one with uh, Christopher Russo and Mike Francesca. That, that was probably the one I did not. I, I think I watched it for like 20 minutes in the, in the hot dog one with Kobayashi, and I, you know, turned it off after that. But ESPN generally, 30 for 30, they do an excellent job. I imagine this one is going to have a lot of great interviews that I'll enjoy. I got it recorded. May watch that on Saturday before the Super Bowl. 
I, I live for that stuff. Just the, the, the recordings of interviews from that time period, that stuff is just like, I, I gush over that. It's amazing. Um, but the thing to remember with this, and they're going to talk about how it transformed the Patriots and the Raiders went downhill after that. Like we, we know the story. I, I don't know much, what much more we're going to learn from it. But the one thing that I will despise and I, I will pound the table and scream as loud as I can until everybody hears me is that the tuck rule was a common thing. Brady wasn't the first one to be the, uh, to, you know, to be the winner out of that technicality. Like, it was very common in the early 2000s. If your arm is going forward and the ball is dropped from your throwing hand, it is an incomplete pass. It's that simple. People act like the application was uh, first ruled by that referee in that Foxborough game, final game at Foxborough Stadium. It wasn't. It was done multiple times before then. But for whatever reason... This is seen as like, oh, they got away the Patriots. This and deflategate and let's cool your jets. All right. This was very common in the early 2000s. They changed the rule and, you know, it's better off for it because now, um, you know, when there's a clear interception, it's ruled an interception. And when it's a fumble, uh, for the most part, it, it's ruled a fumble. So uh, the documentary, really looking forward to Tom Brady, Charles Woodson, even some Belichick interviews uh, and sideline interviews from that game. John Gruden even back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Came out a couple days ago, and maybe we'll talk about it if it's uh, interesting enough here in the next episode. We'll return after the Super Bowl. I think the Rams, maybe the Bengals, are going to win. It's going to be a 13-point margin of victory. I'm fully confident in 13 points either which way. Uh, but we'll record, give our knee-jerk reactions after the Super Bowl at SoFi. Uh, thanks so much. Share with your friends. Uh, give me a five-star review if you're feeling up for it. If you don't want to give a five-star, let me know why. Definitely want to know why we need to improve the podcast. Subscribe, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it, we are there. Thanks so much. Love all you listeners. We will see you after Super Bowl 56. Super Bowl 56.